feel a heaviness on my soul this morning. And uh, I really struggled. I'm like, Lord, do we just need to stop and just make room for you? And the more I, I just asked the Lord what to do, is this just an altar moment? And, and the Lord just kept telling me, uh, the altars are not yet, Scott. And so I'm going to do my best to really share what I really feel like is on the, on the heart of God this morning. And then I'm just going to open up altars um, and, and just try to leave as much time because really, to be honest, we don't come for anything else but to meet with God. Nobody else can do what we need Him to do. Nobody else can change what we need Him to change. And nobody else is reliable. Nobody else is faithful. Nobody else is understanding as He is. And so would you pray with me this morning, Father in heaven? You know, I just don't have words to convey your heart. And I know, God, that you have some people, Father, that's on your heart this morning. Oh, God, I pray. Work a change. Work a miracle. Oh, Father, I pray that you would unburden them. Father, from a, a heaviness that was given to them, they didn't ask for it. But here they are, God, with complication. And it's killing them. And it's killing you because you're their father and you want the best for them. And so, oh God, I pray even now, Lord, would you open our hearts to be sensitive. Father, years we've been so walled off and so close off, Lord. But I pray today that your soft words would show us, God, real truth and that we would look in the mirror of your word, Father, and we would walk away different and changed because we need it. Our marriage needs it. Our family needs it. Our church needs it. Our city needs it. God, you know our world needs it. That's why I pray, God, open our hearts. Make us sensitive to it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Oh, give me just a bit to get myself together. I'm going to be speaking to you about the story of, Hith of Hithophel. Hithophel was a, a counselor, one of David's counselors, and, and he was uh, so well-respected and so well-known in Scripture. It says that he was the oracle of God, and that when you were to ask um, Ahithophel a question, his counsel was as if you, you asked God himself. That's a, a humongous statement there. But what we see in the life of Ahithophel is, is a spirit of offense and bitterness. And it wasn't just because he was soft or weak. It was justified. His, his, his offense was justified. His, his bitterness, it, it grew, but it wasn't just because he was an overly emotional guy. He had some things that justified how he felt. And so in my heart this morning, I, I, 
as I was just praying and reading and scripture just continued to come to me and let me just tell you uh, I don't know who's in here today but I want to say thank you for being here the Lord changed my sermon at 6 p.m. that was the third one I started and so uh, I don't know who you are and, and I don't know what you're going through but I just know in my heart that the Lord has you in mind. He has you in mind and on his mind. And I would pray that this morning, I'll try to get out of your way as quickly as I can because it really is between you and him. I pray this morning that you would hear what he would have to say. That he would lead you in his truth. And that truth would set you free. I want to give you four points right now. I don't know that I'll hit all of them, but let me just tell you some things that we see in the life of Ahithophel that bitterness and offense produces. The first off is, Alex, and I'm sorry, you're going to have to just play with me this morning and just see if we can be on each other's team. The first off is bitterness produces a false version of yourselves. The second is bitterness robs our potential to produce by disconnecting us from God's purpose. Bitterness binds us to share in like grievances and like consequences. Bitterness is a disease. It eats at the host that keeps it alive. So we read in 2 Samuel the story, and I won't read through all the scripture this morning. But what you should know is simply this, is that Ahithophel was, in fact, he was a counsel to, to David uh, a long time ago when David um, slept with Bathsheba. What we don't see until later on in Scripture until we dig was that Bathsheba was actually Ahithophel's granddaughter. And when this part in Scripture comes about, it's about nine years later, we start to see the bitterness that's in Ahithophel's heart. But it all stemmed back to when his granddaughter was objectified and looked as a sexual object on her, her roof. And then, and then her husband was murdered because David couldn't control his passions. And Ahithophel was, was David's counselor during that time, but he never said anything to him about it. So here we, here we are, fast forwarded nine years later into life, and he has been been his companion. He's been his counselor. He's been there the whole time with David. I, I don't know about you, but I myself would probably have some bitterness, some offense because he never addressed it. And, and I don't know if you would think this way or not, but somehow in my mind, I would have a hard time just forgiving a man and moving past a man. I'm not even a grandparent yet, but I know the heart that a parent has for his children and from what I hear, a grandparent's heart is even greater. And so this morning, as we read into his life, what we see is simply this, that Ahithophel uh, partnered with Absalom, which was David's oldest son at the time. And Absalom was creating con a conspiracy. And he wanted to work against his father, David. And doing so, he recruited the counsel of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel sided with Absalom to overthrow the kingdom of Israel against David. And if Absalom hadn't listened to Ahithophel, he would have done it. 
Now, that would have worked against the promises of God, and obviously that's not what happened. But had he listened to Ahithophel, he would have overthrown David in Israel. And so Ahithophel is sore. He's, he's, he is a, uh, uh, he is a, a, a painful individual. He's struggling. What I need you to know is that, like I said earlier, is that he is a godly man that when he spoke and gave counsel, it was as if God himself spoke. He was an oracle, and some translations say it, but he wasn't just a godly man. He was also a kingly man, for he was David's good friend. The word says in Psalms 41.9, when David is writing and, and thinking about Ahithophel, he says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And so he's, he's thinking back to the time, these years, that Ahithophel was close to him. And when we see him talking about, in verse 9 of uh, Psalms 41, he says, my friend, the word friend has actually two different roots here. One root is simply peace, that I was at peace with this man. We broke bread together. We, we were friends. And, and one even translation of the word or the other root of the word, it talks about him being a husbandman, which is basically um, a, a, a groom, a groomsman. Someone you share life with. And so David is thinking back that this is not just someone who was on my cabinet or in my courts or just a friend who I counseled with, but this guy was close to me. He was dear to me. He meant a lot to me. And so my thoughts were this, is that all along, Hithophel was feigning to be the friend of David, but harboring an offense the whole time. You know, I, I, in my mind, can I tell you that as I looked at this scenario, what I realized is this, is that you can't always tell people's heart from their outward actions. People do well at, at pretending one way and believing and feeling another way. In fact, we see that this type of offense um, uh, is what Jesus spoke to when he called the Pharisees a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Greek actually comes from the plays that, that Roman, uh, the Romans would entertain or Greek tragedies. An actor would often uh, wear a mask and he would hold two different masks. And as he played multiple parts, he would change the mask to fit the part. That was where the word hypocrite came from. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he was simply saying, you change your mask based off the part that you play. And so here we see Ahithophel doing the same thing. He was the counselor and friend, but then he was the offended grandparent. And he vacillated between the two. This morning, what I wonder is, is how many of us have more than one mask? How many of us, when we're around an individual, we hold the mask? When we're at home, we have a different mask. And then when we're before God, we have a different mask. We ourselves are actors much like these hypocrites of the ancient Greece were. And so the whole time that Ahithophel is feeling these things, what I find him doing is simply this, that Ahithophel, maybe unknowing to himself and maybe unintentionally, but he, he, what he doesn't see is this, is that, that bitterness because of offense is producing a false version of himself. When you and I hold on to bitterness, we can't help but to seek false peace. Now, some of y'all don't do well with false peace, and you come right out and say, I got a problem. And that's good to some degree. 
But most of us don't like conflict. And most of us will be okay with false peace because false peace is easier for us to maintain and manage than the conflict that it might create. And so we find ourselves locked in a prison of offense. We find ourselves with, with the root of bitterness within. And we see that ourselves are constantly changing masks, all because we would rather embrace false peace. And false peace always creates a false version of who we are. And so as he continues in the story, what we see is that Absalom recruits Ahithophel. And he asks him to come over and, and, and be on his team to give him counsel that he might overthrow King David. And as I read this part, 2 Samuel 15, 31, it says, And it was told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. What I realized was simply this, is that Ahithophel had a grievance with David, but Absalom also had a grievance with David. But their grievances were different, but their object was the same. And when I read that, I realized is that oftentimes, many times, that our bitterness shares objectives with someone else. And we find ourselves gravitating to other people who, like ourselves, are not happy. Who, like ourselves, are pretending in false peace. Who, like ourselves, are projecting false versions of ourselves. And can I tell you, just from the, the perspective of that, that's not a healthy community. A bunch of false people pretending that they are not who they are just for the sake of false peace. And the only reason why they're even connected at all and have any commonality at all is because they share the same grievance over the same object that cost that grievance. My, my old pastor used to tell me, he says, Scott, water seeks its own level. Pay attention to it, Scott. When you see issues in their life, when you see flaws in their life, when you see grievances in their life, remind yourself, Scott, water seeks its own level. Be careful. Be cautious. And so this morning, I would just remind you of that. Ahithophel had two things in mind when it came to David. He wanted to disgrace David. He wanted to destroy King David. He wanted him to disgrace him because we read in Scripture that he told Absalom, if you want to go in and take over the kingdom, here's what you have to do. You have to go set up a tent. You have to sleep with all of your father's concubines. And therefore, that was an act during that day when a kingdom would come over and he would take over a kingdom. He would sleep with the concubines and consummate his take over the kingdom. That was an unforgivable sin and that was a claim to the throne. Ahithophel knew that if he did that, there was no going back. And if anybody had anything to lose, it was Ahithophel. Absalom may escape to the, the, the wilderness once again, but Ahithophel had everything to lose. And so he made sure that, that Absalom's actions were irreversible. Now think about this. This is a man that David once said, you're my friend. I'm at peace with you. We broke bread together. We were close. And here you are. Striking me with your heel of your foot. He's coming in to take over and destroy David and discourage David and discredit David. Can I tell you that at that moment what I see was he, he began to walk away from the very purpose that God called him to walk in. You see, when we are offended, we start to partake and walk in paths that we were not supposed to be walking in. But somehow we feel like the purpose of God is still coming with us. 
God called Ahithophel to be a counselor, to speak wisdom to his king. But when he allowed the root of bitterness and offense to creep into his life, he actually abandoned or abdicated the anointing upon his life. Can I tell you this morning that offense and the root of bitterness, when we live distracted by those things, causes us to abdicate the anointing of our actions. When you walk in fear and resentment, you don't walk in forgiveness and favor. And so you can't accomplish two things. The giftings of God do not walk separated from the purposes of God. The Word of God says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And those things don't agree with God when you hold unforgiveness in your heart or judgment in your heart or bitterness in your heart. And you ask the Lord to help you. And the Lord says, how can I when your spirit and my spirit don't agree we abdicate his anointing we abdicate his calling in our life we suspend it we delay it or we deny it by our choosing to move a different direction by our bitterness it says in 2nd Samuel 17 14 for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. What I realized when I read this was that Ahithophel's counsel was still good. The Lord had to defeat Ahithophel's counsel. I thought, here's something that's not a supernatural anointing, but there's just... The things that he knew how to do. He knew what good counsel was. He knew how to give it. And you and I have been gifted with things that are just natural to us. Some of us are great at money and some of us are great at relationships and some of us are great at entrepreneurship and some of us are great at different things, creativity. And, and, and what the Lord would say to us here is, is that all of us have been given the ability to give good counsel. But my question is, is if we are walking in a spirit of bitterness, if we're walking with a, with a root of uh, bitterness in our life, are we putting off? Are we putting away those things that God has enabled us to do? We, we learned last week that Peter, when he went out fishing again, the Lord told him not to fish anymore, but we learned last week is that when we go out fishing again, that our practices outside of God's purposes fail to produce. Remember that? When the Lord said, do you have any fish? How good are you doing out there in your own strength? But this morning, I believe Ahithophel is showing us that our potential apart from God's purposes, our potential apart from God's purposes fail also to produce. And the reason that is, is, is bitterness robs our potential to produce by disconnecting us from God's purpose. Bitterness robs your potential, robs your ability. Ahithophel's counsel was good, but the Lord said, I can't allow you to do that because what you're doing naturally and what you're doing uh, uh, in a blessed state or an advantaged state, I have to defeat you because your purposes are against my purposes, I'm, can I just ask a clear question? Where is it in your life that you feel like you're not producing? You've been, you, you were good in this before. You've had success in the past over this. But now for some reason in this season of life, you cannot produce. It's not the same. And you're inept or you're minimized or you're limited to some degree. Can I ask you, is there bitterness in your heart? 
Because those things will always accomplish a selfish purpose. It's hard not to be selfish when you've been offended, and rightfully so. None of us can say, well, Ahithophel was this or he was that. No, he was justifiably offended. But that justifiable offense still led to a root of bitterness. Luke 17 says that all of us, it says, woe to those who who, uh, temptation comes. But then the Lord says this. He says, but all temptation is necessary. I don't, I'm not really on board with that part of the statement. Necessary. Necessary. Did you know, also in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 10, where it talks about that Jesus himself, he grew, he, he walked in obedience because he learned it through suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Can I tell you that if Jesus is walking in measures of obedience because of the suffering that he went to, you and I will also have to endure temptations that are necessity because they help us walk into a measure of obedience that the Lord is calling us to walk in. This life is not easy. This life is no small thing. And these offenses that come our way are things of necessity To think that your offense is a necessity in your life may help you rethink why you're offended in the beginning. Why is it that Jesus offended the Pharisees? Their offense was a necessity because the Lord was trying to show you, trying to show the Pharisees the new way, the new understanding, the new laws of grace and of the Spirit. But those things were offense to them because they did not believe or they did not embrace or, or his life, although he was called the rock of offense, was in contradiction to theirs. But the offense was necessary. What we see is simply this, is that Absalom, in our story, finally came to a place where he had died in the battle. Ahithophel himself, when he realized that his uh, instructions and his counsel was not followed. It says of him that Ahithophel in 1723, Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed and he saddled his donkey and he went off uh, to his, homes, his, his hometown. He set his house in order and he hanged himself and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Can I tell you that bitterness binds us to share in like grievances and like consequences. Absalom died. And Ahithophel died. And they both died because they both had the same type of, or the same object of grievance. If we're not careful, church, if we're not careful, we can find brothers in grievances. We can find sisters in grievances. And what you don't know is that that Absalom's actions were worthy of capital murder, capital execution. Ahithophel's Not yet until he walked into the fruit of his bitterness. But what I want you to understand is that sometimes we come into light grievances with other people and there is a consequence coming their way. But when you walk together with them, you don't only share in light grievances, you'll share in light consequences. Be careful, church. Perhaps the enemy knows 
what he desires for your family, for your marriage, or for your church. And a way that he would destroy it as he knows that you'll not be aggressive enough, you'll not be demonstrative enough, and you'll not follow the full path of sin. And so he brings someone close to you that shares in a light grievance, and that's how he it creates a consequence on your life. Be careful who you share with. Be careful who you complain to. Be careful. Because the enemy has already heard your murmuring. He's already heard you grumble, and he's working on someone he knows is already destined for consequence, and somehow, miraculously, you meet a new friend or a mistress or a sugar daddy. (laughs) But see, the enemy always comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who are we walking in agreement with? What had hit the fell so distracted? He'd done all these things because there was the root of bitterness in his life. He hated David and merely pretended to be his friend. He lost sight of the relationship with the king. He lost the sight of his walk and work for the Lord. Bitterness had grown up and choked out the very life of Ahithophel. Can I ask you this morning, are you bitter? Are you bitter? Because some past events because of what someone said to you or about you? Are you bitter because you didn't get your way? Because you were offended and now you seek to have revenge? These things are so close to my heart. I've walked through these things my life time and time and time and time again. I understand these things with real intimacy. And can I tell you that it's just a process. In fact, if it's not, I'll tell you, the secret of Scott Brandon's life is that when offense comes my way, the first thing I do is say, Lord, your word says, when I come to you, Lord, and I sin, I tell you, Lord, my sin is before you and you alone. And that also applies to the other person who sinned against me. I realize that they didn't sin against me because Scott Brand doesn't have righteousness. You can't transgress my righteousness. The only righteousness I have is from God alone. And so they've never really sinned against me. David says that their sin is against God and God alone. Had they offended me? Had they hurt my feelings? Yes. But if I am to be justified by his righteousness, then I have to allow the Lord to do his work and realize that their transgressions are not against me. And their offense are not against me. Another thing my pastor told me, he always said this. I've said it before. He says, he says Scott, he goes, just know this. People are not against you. They're just for themselves. They're just for themselves. It's not personal, Scott. Bring somebody else with the same actions, the same situation, and they're going to get the same result. Because it's not about you. Don't make it about you. People are not against you. They're not trying to offend you. They're just for themselves. And sometimes people act that way in pain, and sometimes people act that way in preservation. And so we have to understand that when it comes down to offense, really it's a matter of the enemy 
who uses maybe another Judas in our life, or perhaps he changes the situation, he lies to us, and we see things that are not true, but it makes no difference because he'll constantly move the pieces around. His only goal is that he gets into your emotions because the only thing the enemy has access to is your emotions. But if he can get into your emotions, it's the key that unlocks the door for his words to become truth. Well, on the outside, they're always a lie. we got to be so careful, church. So when, so when someone acts in a certain way or speaks in a certain way, I have to get in my word and say, Lord, what does your word say? What does your word say? Lord, and, and I don't care what they said about me or what they've done to me. I have to find first who I am in the word of God. And then I have to allow all those issues to be placed upon the cross. For what Christ died, if there's any sin at all, it was never a sin against Scott Brandon, and it's never been a sin against you, even to the point of you being sexually violated. Those things are not even really against you. You were just an instrument of their sin. It's difficult when we start to break that down into situations that we're very stuck in. Lord, how can I ever forgive them? How can I ever pardon them? How can I ever allow that to go? Because you and I know that if we forgive people, somehow we let them off scot-free. And we're the ones still holding the guilt. And we're the ones still holding the pain. Can I tell you that with my father, I forgave my dad, I feel like 30, 30 years I, I just continued to say, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him, and I forgive him. And it wasn't to the point that he was, he was, I got a call, he was in the hospital, and they said, your dad's about to die. And I was like, oh, here we go. And I, I thought, I, should I go talk to him? Lord, I've already forgiven him. I don't even have any need to go see him. It doesn't matter. And the Lord said, no, no, I, I need you to go. And then I said, Lord, he doesn't want forgiveness. <laughs> he doesn't even admit anything. And the Lord Thankfully, through his word and through some mentors in my life, taught me that forgiveness is not always something that's received, but forgiveness is always given. Forgiveness is always given. They don't have to receive it for you to give it. Thank God that the Lord didn't die on the cross and only forgive those who received it, but forgiveness was for all who would receive. For you and I, when we transgress and we walk through a place in life and we hurt other people as well, I pray that they would do to you as you would ask them to do unto them yourself. And so this morning, can I ask you, are you bitter? Are you bitter? You say, oh, Pastor Scott, I'm not really bitter. Well, can I just identify some things in my life? I, I didn't burn anybody's house down. I didn't take over their kingdom. Can I give you a few things that I've done and maybe you've done the same way? Have you given them the cold shoulder? Have you not looked them in the eye as you passed them by? Have you acted like they've never spoken to you when their hand has reached out to say hello? Have you found ways to avoid speaking to them? Have you failed to defend them when someone else talked bad about them? Have you ever been offended? Because these things are common in us. And the whole point of this is that you might understand and identify the seed, the root that's in our life. Bitterness is like a disease, and it eats the host that keeps it alive. It feeds on our life. 
It feeds on our drama. And it feeds on, on our negativity and our complaining. And it even feeds, I would say that bitterness feeds the most on our justification. And to be honest with you, as the worship team comes, can I tell you that the real danger in bitterness and offense is that we can walk around in our life feeling that we're right, but living in the wrong. We, we think that we're the ones that's the victim here. We're the ones that's been transgressed against. And we have this pseudo-righteousness that we feel like we're good. We're okay. Why? Because I'm better than that, that tax collector over there. I'm better than the publican over here. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than the person that hurt me. And the problem with this is, is simply we start to associate people the same way. If this person created this problem and they represented this group, what happens now is all of a sudden the whole group, the whole group of people, people who are like them always treat me this way. That's why people have a problem with the church because when the church hurts them, a person in the church hurts them, our natural instinct is to say, the church hurt me. No, they didn't. That foolish person did. That person who is not walking in the light of Christ, that person who's not walking in the character of Christ, that person who would not hear you, love you, or forgive you, or sit down with you and say, I'm sorry, and pray with you, that person, that immature spiritual person in Christ, they hurt you. But the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, they didn't hurt you. But we associate one person's actions and grievances with the whole body. And all of a sudden, we don't need the church anymore. All of a sudden, we don't need that job anymore. All of a sudden, we don't need those friends anymore. Because that one person's actions has now become everybody's actions. And we push them away. And as we push them away because of the hurt that we feel in our life, somehow we feel like we're better people because we would never do that. When we stand before God, there's no such thing as to never do that. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need his righteousness. Let go of the bitterness this morning. Can I ask you, who is it? Who hurts you? disappointed you. You thought they knew better. They, you thought they loved you, cared for you. They were your friend. They walked with you. You laughed together. You cried together. You were there for each other. They left you out there. Shame on them. Who have you left out there? Who did you fail? Who did you fail to defend? You weren't thinking about them, but you did it inadvertently, but you still did it, and you didn't ask for forgiveness. Who is it that we have transgressed again? Who is it that we have offended? Who is it that we have dropped the seed of bitterness, and they're cultivating the root, but it was we who dropped the seed? We're so easy to point at the world. And can I tell you that Generally, those who have been offended often produce offense. Those who have received bitterness from an offense 
often produce bitterness from an offense. Because that's all we get. Is, is what we, is all we give is what we get. Unless Christ changes things this morning. So every head bowed, every eye closed. And this is a tough one for me. I try to imagine myself if, if I'm in your shoes. How do I respond? The lies come so quick. The justification so strong. But I know in my heart what his word has spoken today. Oh God, Father, we're a broke people. Hated, rejected by the world, targeted. Offense comes because we bear your name. Persecution comes because we claim your name. Life is not easy. We suffer most days. We claim that there's no one else that can understand what we go through, and yet your word says that you do. Oh, Father, I pray that this morning you would give us the spirit that you had when you hung upon a cross, guiltless, free from sin and shame, free from unrighteousness, yet you took all those things upon you, God. And your response to all those who offended you, all those who burdened you, and all those who murdered you, was, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. I pray, God, this morning that that would be our heart. God, we don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to walk in freedom, Lord. So I ask, God, as we come to these altars this morning to do a deep work, to do a future work, not just today, not just a mixing of emotions with truth, but, Lord, a real change that frees us and clears up our future. I pray, God, not only forgive us, for harboring it. But I also pray, God, give us the strength to forgive them. Allow them, Lord, to receive your grace just like we did. This morning, if you, if you would just like to respond to the Lord on the altar and just say, God, here I am. This is too heavy for me. I don't want to be somebody else I'm not. I don't want to share in somebody else's consequence. I can't stand this thing eating me up. I need freedom. I need release. And I need life once again. If that's you, would you come to the altar? Seek God for a whole change.